0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to finish the message. We didn't get to finish last week. We went a different direction. Don't normally do that. Um, was just going to kind of honor our veterans and then just got a message and just felt the need to preach on veterans. And so we did that. So we didn't get to finish the part two of Washers. So we're going to do that this morning. And if you weren't here for part one, that's okay. I'll give you a quick review. We're going to read the text and just kind of touch on a few things. And we're going to jump into these four points that I'd mentioned a couple weeks ago. So John chapter 13, John chapter 13, as we read this, I want you to remember the key thing that we said is that we need to make sure that what looks like humility isn't actually pride in disguise. And we made the statement that pride will both keep us from serving and being served. And pride's a sneaky little thing. Uh, uh, it can veil itself as humility. And we see that here in this instance between Peter and Jesus. Well, Jesus and all the disciples, but of course Peter being the one who always has to say something, shows us just how easy it is to think we're being humble or to think that our heart is right when in reality we're actually working against the very will of God. And anytime we do that, that's, that's pride. And so John chapter 13, we're going to read in verse... Uh, we're gonna read in verse uh, Verse 4, or we're going to start reading in in verse 3, and then we're going to read down to verse uh, verse 16 or 17. John chapter 13, verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God, and that he went to God, he rises from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And remember, we said that the Greek structure there allows us to see emphasis where we don't see it in the English. And Peter is he's actually saying, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? Almost indignant, it's just shock at the possibility. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do you do not know now, but you will know hereafter. Peter said unto him, You will never wash my feet. And again, that word never, major emphasis. Jesus, uh, Peter shouting, You will never. And that word meaning not just never, but never, ever, 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 ever. It is not going to happen. He's, he's adamant that you will not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In typical Peter fashion, he goes from one extreme to the other. All right, Lord, go ahead and just give me a whole bath. Jesus said to him, he that is washed need not save to wash his feet, but is clean everywhere. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And so the question we asked a couple weeks ago, if God is willing to do this, if he's willing to serve in this capacity to humble himself and do this and set this example for us and tell us that we're happy when we do it, then what excuse do we have for not serving each other? And the answer for that, very simple, is that there must be something of pride in our life that either we don't know is there or it's there and we're just trying to ignore it. And so Jesus set an example for us. And he said very clearly, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. So what does that mean for us? Does this mean then... That Jesus wants us to regularly have a time where we pull out basins of water, gather together, take off one another's shoes and socks, and wash each other's feet. And there are churches who believe this. I was in a church one time, I think I shared with you, where we did this. It was a, a New Year's Eve or a Christmas Eve service when I was traveling with the White House. We were out of town over the holidays, and I wanted somewhere to go to church, and I found a church uh, that had Baptist in the title. Um, I didn't know there was more than one Baptist at the time. I found out that this particular Baptist uh, doctrine, denomination, believed that foot washing was an ordinance of the church. And as, we, as I went in the church that night, they had a foot washing service. And I actually took part in it. It's one of the most memorable things I have in my life as a Christian, in the body of Christ, and in the church. We actually uh, had a foot washing service. And I remember that very vividly. But is that what this means? Well, we need to look at it. We need to figure out what Jesus is trying to say to us. So as I said a couple weeks ago, we've got four things we want to look at this morning. And look at verse 12 one more time to make sure. After he washed their feet he, and he took his garments, he sat down and said, Do you know what I've done unto you? Do you know what I've done unto you? Previously, he told Peter, what I'm doing, you don't know now, but you'll know later. You'll understand that hereafter. So we have to study this very carefully to see what Jesus wants us to understand. So four things we want to look at this morning. And here's the first thing that I want us to look at. In this passage, we have a perfect picture of the Savior and his entire redeeming history. You have a perfect picture of the Savior and his entire redeeming history. One of the things I love about the Bible is that God is one of the most beautiful illustrators and portrait painters you will ever find. He can paint a picture with words. He can tell a story that has multiple meanings behind it that carry on over to us. The stories in the Bible often foreshadow something about the Christian life or the cross of Christ. And it's and, and, and as I heard one preacher say one time, God's portrait gallery is, is, is composed of more beautiful pictures than anything you would find in the Louvre or any other museum in the world. And here you have one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible of the entire redeeming history of Christ. In this passage, Jesus does seven things, and I'm going to give them to you, and I want your mind and wheels to start turning as you realize what he's doing here. All right, he did seven things. Number one, he stood up. Number two, he put something off of himself. Number three, he put something onto himself. Number four, he poured something out. Number five, he washed his followers with that which he just poured out. Number six, he went back to his original place and put on his original garments. And then number seven, he sat down again. Did you see that? In this moment, what Jesus did He pictured the very act of God leaving heaven, disrobing himself of his visible glory as Almighty God, clothing himself in human flesh, becoming a servant, stooping down from heaven to earth to walk among us, to the point that when he went to the cross, he shed his blood, he poured out his blood and by that blood washed our sins. Washed. That which is uh, that which is unclean has been made clean. He, he washed us with the washing of water by the word and by the shedding of his blood. So he poured out his blood and it's the blood that paid the price for our salvation. And then after he did that, he was put in the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave and ascended back up into heaven, he put back on all of his visible glory and he sat down at the father's right hand where he waits today for the fruit of what he did 2,000 years ago it's a perfect and beautiful picture of his entire redeeming history he put on a servant's towel do, 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 you, know what a, you, know, do you know what the servants did back in Jesus' day you know what a servant's job was it was to go around and clean up other people's messes amen amen and the servant was the lowest person in, 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 in that day. A servant in, in a household in that day, especially the one who had the responsibility of washing the feet. In fact, in very unusual circumstances, you would find that when someone came into a home, there was always a servant who would take, you take your shoes you'd take off your sandals. The servant would wash your feet before you came into the home. But on the rarest of occasions, in a certain nobleman's home, someone, the nobleman, might wash your feet. But they did that not because they were wanting to show you an example of being a servant. They did it because they wanted to make a big deal out of the fact that you're coming into my home and I'm going to wash your feet and welcome to my home. And it was all about me. When Jesus did it, it was exactly the opposite. And that's why Peter said, wait a minute, you're not going to wash my feet. That's like the lowest of the lowest things. You can't do that. And yet... A servant's job was to go around and clean up other people's messes. And, well, what did Jesus do at the cross? What did he do when he, when he, when he served us? He, he cleaned up the biggest mess there is. He cleaned up our sin. Amen? And this is, this is just the beginning of the story. He poured out. By the way, I, I'm not a big fan of the songs, you know, where, where, where his blood was spilled, you know, like it was accidental. I like the ones that say he poured out and I like the fact here that he he poured out the water out of the basin. I like the idea that Jesus poured out his blood. He willingly went to the cross as a lamb. The Bible says he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. He uttered not a word. He poured out his blood. He carefully poured and performed the act that he'd come to do. And by the way, the Bible says that When he had taken his garments and sat down again, he said, do you know what I've done unto you? Remember I said that he took something off, put something on, did all this, and then he stood up, returned, put on his original garments and went back to his place. Do you notice there's something beautiful in this passage? It never mentions that Jesus took off the towel. Never mentions what he did with the towel. Never mentions what he did with that thing that represented his humanity. The reason for that is, is Jesus is still very much able to identify with you and me as human beings living in this sinful world. When he went to heaven, he didn't forget what it means to be a man living in a wicked world. Amen? He still identifies with us. That's why I love in Hebrews it says that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. You think, but he was the sinless, perfect son of God. He can identify with me. Yes, he can. Amen. He knows the devil wanted him as much as the devil wants you and he wants me and he knows how to get us through this world and on into eternity and that's the whole point of the cross. You have a Savior who knows what you wrestle with every day. So that's number one. A perfect picture of the Savior in his entire redeeming history. Number two, you have a perfect picture of our salvation and its primary benefit in our lives. Now, look at verse 10 and this is where it gets good. Jesus said unto him, he that is washed, note that word, washed, needs not but to wash his feet. Notice that word wash, washed and wash. but he is clean every whit. And, and you are clean, but not all. And he knew that Judas would betray him. You see, in verse 10, you have two words there, washed and washed. And I want to go ahead and tell you, there are two different Greek words, and this is beautiful. The first word there, washed. It's the Greek word luo. And that's actually the word that means to take a full bath. So he that is washed, he that has been fully cleansed, he who has taken the full bath, luo, needs only to wash, and that's the Greek word nipto. And it's the word that's used for a local rinsing of a particular part of the body. So Jesus looks at Peter and he says, the one who has been completely washed doesn't need to take the bath again. But what he's saying is there's going to be a part of you in this life that's going to get dirty. It's going to pick up the filth of this world, and it needs to be rinsed. There needs to be a constant keeping clean. There needs to be a constant awareness of the fact that as we go through this world, we're going to pick up dirt. And the fact that he's washing their feet, as you and I walk through this sinful world, we're going to pick up the dust and the filth and the the sin of this world. And you and I, in other words, what Jesus is saying here, once you've been washed, once you've been saved, once you've been born again, you don't need to get saved. Saved again as a child of God, you don't need to be saved and resaved and resaved and resaved. You just need to make sure you're keeping yourself clean. You need to grow, you need to mature. We call that sanctification. When you go through this life, there's going to be things that you're going to have to confess, there's going to be things we're going to have to pray for each other about. We have to keep ourselves clean, but you don't need to get saved all over again. If you're a child of God and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, heaven is your home, and you will see Jesus one day. But as we go through this world, we gotta understand that there's gonna be times we look at each other and we're gonna see a little bit of that dirt (laughs) that we picked up, amen? I've shared this with you before. Is it not hard for you on some Sunday mornings? You get in the car, you're driving to church, you're excited about worshiping God. As soon as you pull out on the road, that person who's not going to church, (laughs) who does not know how to drive, who should not have a driver's license, gets in front of you and you forget all about worshiping at that moment. Amen? You see, the, 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 the this world is dirty and we're going to pick it up and, and, and what Jesus wants us to understand here is that we have, to, we have to make sure not just that we're keeping ourselves clean but part of serving, and we'll say this in a minute, is helping each other keep ourselves clean. Salvation is that once for all unrepeatable and un. Uh, unrepealable and unrepeatable full body cleansing from every spot and stain of internal sin. And then God is blind to that. And, and, he, and, and, and somebody, a preacher once said, God is colorblind and the color is red. <laughs> Amen. He doesn't see us as the sinners we once were. He sees us as his children. And yet on the outside, he, he knows we still live in this world. Jesus has pronounced the fact that we stand forever clean Redemption and justification, made clean, pronounced clean. Revelation one five. I love this verse. Revelation chapter one verse five. Unto him who loved us and washed away our sins in his own blood. That word "washed" in Revelation one five. It's it's the word "luo." It's the word for the full bath. Unto him who washed away our sins in his own blood so we have a picture of the savior and his entire redeeming history we have a picture of our salvation and its primary benefit in our life and then number three we have a picture of our sanctification and its process this is where the nipto comes in god would never pronounce us clean and then let us slither and slide dirty the rest of the way home In other words, it's not God's intention that he bathe us, wash us clean, and then just let us run off into this world and all the filth and sin of this world and say, Well, it's okay. Do whatever you want to do. You'll get home with me anyways. He didn't save us so that we could be just as bound to our filth and just as bound to our sin as we used to be. He saved us for something better than that. Amen? You've heard me say this before. You'll hear me say it time and time again. You'll hear me say it till you're tired of hearing me say it. I'm going to say it until Jesus comes back. If Jesus has not changed you, then Jesus probably has not saved you. He did not do what he came to do to leave us bound to the same addictions and the same sinful desires and passions that we had before we knew him. And so he, he gives us the nipto. He gives us the full bath. And he gives us his grace. And as one preacher said, he doesn't hide us under a cover of justifying grace and then let us live like the devil under that covering. This is how we falsely represent the security of the believer to those around us. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Peter said unto him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I wash thee not, you have no part for me. If I wash thee not, he used the word for the local rinsing, the nipto. He says, you have no part with me. And it literally means you have no fellowship with me. So I want you to look again at that. When he said, if you've been fully washed, fully washed, all you need is the local washing, the rinsing. And then when Peter said, you'll never give, you'll never do that to me. And Jesus said, if you don't let me rinse you, if you don't let me keep you clean, You have no fellowship with me. Listen to me carefully. does it say you have no relationship with me. It is as possible to be a child of God and live in broken fellowship with God as it is to be a child of a parent and have a broken relationship with them. Broken relationships. You've seen that you probably have some in your life right now. People that you don't talk to anymore. Amen? Family members. But don't get along. We, we, just, we don't talk to them, but we don't talk to each other. There was something that happened, and now we just don't talk to each other. Do you realize that doesn't make you any less of a family member, of a child, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife? It doesn't change that, amen? It just means you're no longer in fellowship. The relationship's still there, but the fellowship's broken. And Jesus tells Peter, if you don't let me keep you clean, if you don't let me give you the nipto, if you don't let me bathe you, if you don't, if you don't let me rinse you, if you don't let me do this, then you have no fellowship with me. Every day, there was a time in your life when you trusted Christ as your Savior. And you prayed and you asked him to forgive you of your sins. You invited him to your heart. But let me tell you, when was the last time that you prayed and asked him to forgive you of your current sins? Not for salvation, but for sanctification. Not for relationship, but for the fellowship. In other words, when was the last time you said, God, I can't enjoy the relationship you want me to have with you right now because there's bitterness in my heart. There's lust in my heart. Or there's envy in my heart. Or there's pride in my heart. Or a judgmental attitude. Or maybe we're guilty of gossip. Net, gossip or maybe we're guilty of, of, of backbiting and backstabbing and malicious talk. That never happens in the body of Christ, right? Sadly, it happens all too often. And we have to confess that. Not to get saved again, but to keep the relationship and the fellowship where God wants it to be. Amen? And Jesus is the one who does that. We go to him and he rinses us every day. When you close your uh, eyes at night, when you lay your head on your pillow at night to go to, bed, uh, to go to bed, you need to ask God to cleanse those parts of you that you picked up in the world during that day, the, those, those, those thoughts that went through your mind. He needs to wash you of that just like he washed you years ago. But this isn't for salvation. This isn't for saving. This is for sanctification. This is for your growth. So every Christian has the big bath, which gives us the relationship, and then we have the daily cleansing, which keeps us in fellowship. Please make sure as a child of God you understand the difference between the relationship and the fellowship, because one of the biggest dilemmas, one of the reasons we look at the church today and we wonder, are those people really saved? One of the reasons they accuse us of being, there's so many hypocrites in there. I'd go to church, but there's so many hypocrites in the church. And feel free to use my response when somebody tells you that. There's room for one more. (laughs) Amen. I mean, if you think it's that easy, try it. But when we look at the church, and we look and we think, is that what a Christian is supposed to look like? And the answer to that question is no. No. But it doesn't mean we need to get saved again. It doesn't mean that we need to establish the relationship. That's been established. What it means is we're in broken fellowship, and we need to fix the fellowship. And here's the thing, beloved. You and I will not be in fellowship with each other. The way that God wants us to be, commands us to be, instructs us to be if we're not in right fellowship with him. Amen. And by the way, if we're in broken fellowship with each other, you're in broken fellowship with God. That's just just the way it works. And if my fellowship with God is broken, then I can't have right fellowship with you. Anytime the fellowship is broken, it creates a problem. Our testimony for God does not come out of our relationship. It is settled forever once we're saved. It comes out of our fellowship. And we say, "Oh, let me tell you how I used to be before I met Jesus, and then, and, then I, and then He saved me, and, and then my life has changed, And then they look at us and they, go, and people look at us and go, "You say your life has changed, but you look exactly the same to me. You're still bitter, you're still angry. You're still, you're still sore at something that happened. You're still holding on to something. That's not what God intends for the child of God. I love this. The sheep. The sheep, when Jesus went for the night and he found the lost one that was out, he brought him. The sheep went home on the shepherd's feet, not his own. <laughs> you see, the shepherd finds the sheep, picks them up. And if you've ever seen them, when they, where they grab them by their feet and then they just throw them up over their shoulders like that. And they hold them by the feet. And the sheep on the shepherd's shoulder. Who's doing the walking? It's the shepherd that's doing the walking. The sheep is on the shepherd's shoulders. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be. And and if you've seen other pictures, the beautiful pictures of it, it's when the shepherd's holding the sheep in his arms. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But do you know why the shepherd is usually holding the sheep in his arms? It's because the sheep is injured. And he can't put them on his shoulders. Because it would hurt the sheep even more. And so there are times when Jesus is able to comfortably put us where he likes to on his shoulders carrying us there's other times when he has to carry us like this and it's because he loves us that he carries us like this but it's also because there's something in our life that if he tries to hold us the way he wants to it would hurt us even more so the sheep carry the shepherd carries the sheep on his shoulders in his arms The moment our feet touch the earth, we draw all the contaminations of sin and we immediately need cleansing. The more we contaminate ourselves, the less clean we look and the less we have a testimony for God. The relationship is secure, we're made clean, but when fellowship is broken, we don't look clean anymore. I'm not going to give that story... (laughs) Well, I will give you this. You remember, if you know anything about your history, you know the Romans had elaborate bathhouses that they built. And water pots were kept in homes for local cleansing. So if you were invited to a banquet, you would go to the local bathhouse. You would bathe in the local bathhouse. But on the way from the bathhouse to the banquet, every step you take would draw dirt to your sandaled feet. So when you reach the banquet... It would be as much a disgrace to come unbathed as it would be for them not to wash your feet when you get to the banquet. So a servant greets you at the door and washes your feet. If you remember the story when Jesus went to Simon Peter's house and the woman came in and she poured out the ointment. She washed his feet with her tears and wiped it with her hair. And if he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't do it. And you remember what Jesus said? said, Simon... Simon, when I came into your house, no servant greeted me. No one took out a basin of water to wash my feet. You didn't give me the standard courtesy that you give a visitor coming to your home when you invite them for a meal. And yet from the moment this woman came in, she has not stopped washing my feet with her tears. Every Christian is somewhere. All right. Every Christian, you and I right now, we're somewhere between the bathhouse and the banquet hall. If you're a Christian, you've you've been to the bathhouse, we're, we're, we're on our way to the banquet hall. And as we walk to that banquet hall, our feet get dirty. Your feet get dirty in this world. And then finally one day we're going to enter into heaven and the last remnants of the sin and the dust of this earth is stripped away from our mortal corrupt bodies and we become immortal and incorruptible and we stand before God holy and righteous and spotless. Hallelujah. So I've been bathed and you've been bathed if you're a child of God and before you enter into the gates of heaven you're going to have that last little bit of dirt stripped away in this old corrupt body and we're going to be made eternal and new and glorious forever here's the fourth and the final thing this morning you have in this passage a perfect picture of the service of the service that we are to render to each other inside the body of christ look at verse 14 if i then your lord and master has washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet The word for the word ought there, it's the same Greek word or it's the same root word from which the word debt is used in the, in the Lord's Prayer. You remember when he prayed in the Lord's Prayer, he said, and, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's the same word that's used for ought here. When he says, I've given you an example, he says that as I've done unto you, you ought also to wash one another's feet. What he's saying is you have a debt you have a debt to each other to help you uh, to help each other keep your feet clean. I'm going to say that one more time. You have a debt inside the body of Christ. We have a debt to each other to help keep each other's feet clean. That's not talking about our physical feet. It's talking spiritually, keeping our hearts, clean, keeping our life, the keeping the world from getting on to get, getting 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 stuck in us and ingrained in us. One another, one another's. By the way, if you ever want to do a study in the Bible, you want to do a good study, look for this phrase. Just look at the phrase, one another. Look at all the times the Bible tells us there's something we're supposed to do for one another. Love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, support one another. Look at all the one another passages. You know what you won't find in the Bible? Hate one another, judge one another, rebuke one Well, you'll find rebuke one another, but you're supposed to rebuke one another in love. Amen. But you won't find judge, you won't find criticize, you won't find hate, you won't find condemn. No, the one and passages in the Bible are passages that are not meant to point out the dirt on each other's feet, but they're passages that are meant to help wash the dirt off. Have you ever thought about sometimes when we talk to each other in the body of Christ, whether or not our words are helping to cleanse that brother or sister in Christ, or whether it's just making them feel more dirty? less loved, less forgiven. The refreshing, two things under this point. We are responsible for the refreshing of suffering saints when they are hurting. The refreshing of suffering saints, our sisters and brothers, when they are hurting. (laughs) There's so much here and I got to stop. The first point of vulnerability for an entryman, for a marching soldier, is his feet. Read the stories from the Revolutionary War, from World War I, World War II. Read the stories of how many soldiers were thwarted in battle, not because of mortal injury, not because, but because they got a blister. Read how many, soldiers, how many soldiers were thwarted in battle because the foot became injured. The word walk is consistently used in the Bible to describe the Christian life. And in Psalm 37, the passage says, fret not. It says, don't fret. Don't be heated up inside. Beloved, I don't think we've ever needed footwashers in the church like we do today. I don't think we've ever needed in the history of the church a, a, a spirit of refreshing one another like we do today. Let me give you the second thing. We'll try and wrap this up. The refreshing of suffering saints Number two, the restoring of sinning saints when they have fallen. Now, I, don't, I we don't have to give each other a whole bath. We just have to point out that there's way too much dirt. Your feet, if you've, you've been walking through this world and you've picked up too much dirt, you don't look clean anymore. So you don't need to be saved again. You just need a good rinsing, a good cleansing. And Christ can do that, and we can help each other and direct each other to do that. If instead of pointing out our faults for the point of judging one another, we point out what's wrong in each other's lives so that we can love each other and restore each other and encourage each other, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. It's not wrong to say you've got a little dirt on your feet. It's wrong to say, look at that dirt on your feet. How sad, you! how dare you come into my house with dirty feet? It's okay to point out that we have dirt in our lives and to see it, but what follows that is a spirit of forgiving and cleansing and renewing and refreshing. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible, if a brother or sister be overtaken in a fault, then those of you who are spiritual, and that's what the Bible says, those of you who are spiritual, restore them. Restore them. Well, what if if I'm not spiritual? Keep your mouth closed. Either restore or let it go because that's what you and I have been called to do, to restore. Jesus said, Paul said, and we wrote to the Corinthians that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of division and destruction, but the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. We restore sinning saints when they've fallen. Church members whose sins have kept them away uh, because the church either knows or they think the church knows. And how many, how many pews are empty because of saints who are fretting, burning up inside over something that, that we may not even be aware of, but they're so afraid that if we found out about it, the first thing we would do would speak words of judgment to them instead of words of forgiveness and words of love. We have reached a point in church history, and this is not me, this is another preacher, this quote. (laughs) We have reached the point in church history where spiritual foot washing is just as needed as soul winning. There aren't just people in this community that we need to get the gospel to. There are people who used to go to church who are truly the children of God. They have been saved and born again. But they have become so weighted down by dirty feet and the cares and the guilt of this world that they've quit coming to church. And that's only compounded by the fact that many of those people who've quit coming never get a call, never get a visit, never get a card. Or when they do see us, our first question isn't, "Are you okay?" We missed you. We're praying for you. Is everything all right. We haven't seen you in church in a while. Our first comment is, "Oh, well, you backslidden? No you don't go to church anymore. You must be walking away from God." Washing feet is a powerful and beautiful spiritual privilege in the body of Christ. I'm going to close with this. <laughs> I'm going to stop. Think about this practically. And you'll, you'll experience this if you come to our open house. I don't do this all the time, but I tried Years ago when I got this message, this is what we started doing. First of all, in our house, we, we take our shoes off at the door. Uh, you're welcome to take your shoes off. And, uh, and walk through our house in your socks. So I don't wear socks. Walk through our house in your bare feet. Doesn't matter. Amen. But we take our shoes off at the door. We do that. But now I don't have a basin of water at the door, the front door of my house. Amen. Um, if I needed to, I, I would have one. If I felt like somebody needed their foot, I, I'd do it. But, but when, someone, when someone comes into our house, before they walk into our house, I ask them, I ask them hey, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Hey, I'm so glad you're going to pray for it. When a serviceman comes to our house, when someone comes to do work on our house or anything, when they want to open the door of the house before they walk in, and here's what I love. The servicemen, have you ever had a serviceman come to your house lately? Have you noticed this? More of them are doing this. When somebody comes to your house, what do they, they put on little booties. They put on little booties. Why? Because they know they got dirty feet, and they don't track it through your house. I guess that's better than taking the shoes off if you're a serviceman. I don't know, but when somebody comes to open the door, I say, "Hey, I've come to work on. I've come to do this." So I'm like, "Great, listen, I'm glad you're here." I'm a pastor. Can I pray for you before you come in? I've never had anybody say no. a simple prayer: Thank you for bringing this person. I get they tell me their name. I pray for them, and then I, and then I let them come in. I let them do their whatever it is they came to do. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about? the first com- the first time we meet someone especially someone we haven't seen in a while or the first time we meet someone for the first time or the first time or somebody coming into your home have we ever thought about meeting one another with words of prayer and love and encouragement to remind us that spiritual foot washing is a powerful and beautiful privilege let me ask you this <laughs> how did you greet the people you greeted coming into church this morning now mostly what we glad to see you nice you're here how was your week amen good to see you. and it's pleasant and it's polite and that's how it should be all the time amen now the danger is there may be some people who greeted you you may have greeted some people and and have been in churches somebody walks in and depending on who they are depending on what they look like depending on how they're dressed we don't look like foot washers amen or oh me but the reality is you can greet someone walking in the door of the church Hey, good to see you this morning. Glad you're here, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking something entirely different. And beloved, we are cheating ourselves out of the privilege and the, and the blessing and the joy of serving each other in the body of Christ the way that God has called us to. Pride will keep you from serving. Pride will keep you from being served. And right now in the body of Christ, I promise you there are people in this room right now this morning who would love for someone to put their arm around their shoulder. And so let me pray for you. Let me spiritually wash your feet. Let me love you. Let me tell you that you are welcome in my life. Let me tell you that as long as you and I are walking together with God, that he will not only give us the big bath, but that he will keep us clean from day to day. And we can help each other make sure that we're letting him do that. Amen? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning for just a moment. If I'm going to be a foot washer, I cannot look down on a man when I am washing his feet. The key is humility, getting down to the earth and crying out for mercy. Spiritual foot washing shames the devil and strengthens the body of Christ you're here this morning and you're a child of God you're saved you know you're saved is there a little bit of dirt that you picked up in this world is it is it starting to cling to you there's things that you're embarrassed about we don't have to know it Jesus can give you the rinsing he can cleanse that from you it's his job to keep you spotless through this life day by day but if you're here this morning and, 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 and maybe there's maybe you wish, maybe you long for a church mayor, maybe you long to be a part of that, to have someone in your life, th- then you can pray this morning, Lord, send me that person, send me that foot washer. Lord, let me be that foot washer for someone else. Would we be willing as a church this morning to pray, God, help me to be a servant in the body of Christ on a level like I have never been a servant before. Would we be willing to pray this morning, God, guard my heart, guard my lips, so that when I speak to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I am genuinely concerned for their spiritual well-being. And to be in a church where we know when people speak to us, they are genuinely concerned for our well-being. This doesn't happen by accident, beloved. It is a choice that you have to make as the members of First Baptist Church of Mableton. And if you're here this morning and you've never been bathed, you've never trusted in Christ, he's never washed away your sins, he wants to do that this morning. And as we pray, I'll be down front, the altar's open, if God has spoken to you about anything this morning, you come as God leads you. Father, thank you for the cross that washes away our sin, the blood that was shed that covers our sin the lamb slain. Lord Jesus, that you became our sin so that we could become righteous before God. Protect us from the dirt of this world. Help us to stay clean every day, to come to you every day, and to close every day, allowing you to rinse off the filth of life that we've picked up during that day. And help us as Christians, help this church, help this body of believers to be a group of men and women and children, young people, all ages, all class, all gender, to help us love each other and genuinely care for each other to the point that even if we don't take out a basin of water and wash each other's feet, we bathe each other in prayer. And do something mighty in this church like you've never done before. For your glory and your honor, in Jesus' name.